Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. She's back, and we couldn't be happier. Vivian Sessoms is one hell of a singer whose vocal range moves seamlessly from lilting and angelic to gritty and mournful. Born and raised in Harlem, Vivian, whose father was a flautist percussionist and her mother, a session jingle singer, has been surrounded by music her whole life and, for the most part, was singing by the time she could talk. Vivian's resume is an impressive one. She's performed either live or in studio with the likes of Michael Jackson, Donna Summer, Stevie Wonder, P. Diddy, Sinead O'Connor. Of all her collaborations, the one she made with her future partner, writer-producer Chris Parks, was, in her words, life-defining. They wrote songs for other artists, but also combined their talents for the album Metaphors. More recently, Vivian's been working on a solo project, the first single of which is the Billie Holiday classic Strange Fruit. The intensely passionate song deals with the timeless and potent issues of racism and social inequality. The track can be found on Vivian's album Life, which through soul and jazz explores the themes of love, loss, life. Vivian sings standards, giving them a modern twist, as well as singing current songs, giving them a standards twist. The album also includes arrangements of newer compositions not normally heard on a jazz record. Life also features appearances by some of the most talented musicians and performers who make up today's jazz scene. Vivian, welcome back. Thank you, Sandy. You know, our first conversation was in December 2013, clearly a holiday present for all of our listeners. That's right. And a birthday present for me. (laughs) Oh, okay. I'll remember that for next December. Okay, okay. So, Vivian, you're soulful, you're sexy, you're soothing. (laughs) Explain how you and Jazz got together. And it seems like such a natural pairing, but that wasn't necessarily the case when you started singing, was it? Well, I started out doing jingles, but in terms of my first recording, it was a rock record. The first recording that my husband and I produced and wrote together was a rock record. And then I went on to do a soul record. And this is a jazz record in that I am covering some jazz standards, a lot of jazz standards. But it is a very soulful jazz record, and there are definitely a lot of jazz musicians on it. But I would say it definitely bridges the gap between jazz and my last record, which was a soul record. So you don't want to be defined simply as a jazz singer or as a soul singer, correct? Because you're so nuanced. Your your talent is nuanced. Yeah. I feel that most artists are. I feel like almost all artists are. Performing artists, uh, recording artists, painters, writers, sculptors. Mm -hmm. Most people have other things they like to do. And within the the realm of music, most artists have other genres that they like and can do well. Um, It just used to be the way I think that music was, that if you did this, you know, labels probably assumed that it would be confusing for an audience for you to do something else. But now I think with the way that the music business has gone, you see a lot more of it. You know what comes to mind, though, that in terms of like pigeonholing, if you're an opera singer, you're an opera singer for the most part, aren't you? Opera is... A One different those, animal, huh? Yeah, it is, because I think that everything is usually on the paper, so you will meet, you know, performers who will say, in opera, we don't improvise, or right, we, don't, right. we don't veer from, you know. Um, but that's not to say that there are not performers and even opera singers who can't do other things amazingly well, mm-hmm. or that like other things. You know, I'm sure there are opera singers who love to sing jazz and vice versa, but... 
Opera is a little different, but in terms of rock, you know, you get you know you get some some country singers who will sing soul great, or rock singers will sing soul great, mm-hmm. or or you know vice versa, or whatever it is. So, uh, you you see many former rock artists going into the jazz realm, and and you know, so and it's become something of a popular thing to do. So, was it always a given that you were going to make your career as a singer? I mean, there were... How did you know you were talented? I don't know if I ever knew I was talented, but I just knew that I loved to sing and I loved music. And I did from a very young girl, but uh, my parents were also in the music entertainment industry. So that, you know... That exposed you with nothing else. That exposed me, absolutely. Mm -hmm. But I think that my mom really hoped that I would do something else. And, And for a while, I thought maybe I might become an attorney, but... And why was that? Why did she hope that for you? I just think that um, she probably always thought that, I mean, I thought that I would like that, and I guess she thought I was a good talker, but she never was the kind of parent who was like, you should be this or that. She just was like, I hope you don't become a musician because it's a tough crowd and a tough business. But as a kid, I was doing jingles. My mom had me doing jingles, radio jingles. and Yeah, so you were getting paid. So I was getting paid, right. and it was paying for my school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at some point, I just felt like, I, this, I have to do this. It, it's my calling. Yeah, and I think that most people that do it and that, that really love it and that have been successful at it usually feel like you, you can't do anything else. So here you are, a backup jingle singer. And then how difficult is it to get from back there to up front? I think you have to really want it. And I think that some people, there are levels of, of the joy that you can um, that you can attain from doing this, you know. And some people are just happy to just make music and, and, and just be involved in situations where they can make music. And then others want to get their particular message or thoughts and feelings. Or style. Well, style too, mm-hmm. but usually you've got something that you want to say. Oh. You know? Is that right? I think so. I never I think thought so. of it that Even way. if you don't write the songs necessarily or don't start out writing your songs, I think that as an artist, you just have something that you need to convey. So explain that to me. That's a really good point, not having any talent in that department. What does that mean that in terms of singing standards or the songs that I wrote as opposed to singing what you wrote? You know, Is that what everyone aspires to who's a singer? No. I think in, in, at a certain time in the music industry, most singers didn't write their own music. And most writers didn't sing. Right, and right. arrangers, you know, didn't write. You know, musicians wrote the song or writers wrote the song and the musicians played it and the arranger arranged it and the producer produced it. And 87 people, yeah. Yeah. That's not to say that people didn't. I mean, I'm sure there were some. Well, I know there were blues artists who wrote their own songs and recorded their own songs. Sure. But for the most part. So I think it's sort of still considered something of a new phenomenon. But or, or you know, you may look at, you know, people like Mozart and and artists like that who wrote their own material and, and performed it and, and mm-hmm. performed it. Mm-hmm. But I just think that you can express yourself through something you wrote or something that someone else wrote, but that just deeply resonates with you or his home. And it's an idea or a feeling that you feel that you can convey. But overall, I think that there are just some people who just know that they they need to reach and interact with others, other people that love music audiences. 
or whoever it is that will listen. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And when you're starting out, you don't know who's going to listen, but you just know that you hope someone will. So at some point, I guess, if you start out as a jingle singer or a backup singer, and while, and that may be just fine for one's career, which is a very respectable career. Take Lisa Fisher, mm-hmm. you know, 20 Feet from Stardom, and Darlene Love also. Yeah. I mean, is it that you start that way and that's fine, or that's just a stepping stone? There are a lot of people who view that as a stepping stone. I think that there are some people who really don't have that frame of mind that they want to be in front. Mm -hmm. They're happy, like Mm -hmm. I said, to just make music. And then there, I think there are some people who maybe feel like that would be enough, but they're pushed into it because they have something. Like Lisa Fisher, I think she's Mm -hmm. just special. Some Mm -hmm. people are just special, and they touch people, and people want to to see them. They want to hear them. As my mother used to say, some people have it. And when they have it... you got to go with it. Well, I mean, some people don't, but some people have it. And when they have it... And and, and And when other people know they have it, right? That makes it better, obviously. and, And it can be a few different things, but some people just are able to just really create magic and really touch people. So when did you know you had it? Well, I don't know if I have it, but I just know that I have something that makes me strongly want to communicate with people in that way. And it's an overwhelming desire to reach people through music. And what do you want to tell us? Um, there's a lot of things that I like to say through music, but I love to talk about what people feel but are unable to say. And a lot of times for me that deals with issues of love and themes of loss. This particular record deals a lot with race and how we are— Life, um, your album. How, yes, mm-hmm. how we feel about race today, how it seems that we feel how we are relating to one another. It's not there in every song, but it is an overarching theme. And I just think that it's something really important that we need to talk about. And I recently read something, a a part of an interview with Nina Simone that says it's actually an artist's job to talk about the times and and to, to try to get people to think. If you can get people thinking and talking about something, that's what you're... Mm-hmm. That's, that's your skill. You're, that's, and that's also yeah. your mission that's in your many mission. cases. That in is many your cases. mission, yeah. If you're just joining us, my guest today is singer Vivian Sessoms. Not everybody, obviously, has that mission. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine that it's an easy road to hoe to move from off to the side, in the center. And I find this theme with practically every woman who I've had a conversation with, Mm -hmm. which is this really strong sense of self. And I would have to assume that you feel that way, too, about you. Clearly, that's part of your DNA, isn't it? Or if not, you certainly cultivated it. It is a part of my DNA, but it's very funny because I come from two grandmothers who were just the backbone of our family and my mom Mm -hmm. who raised me as a single parent. So Mm -hmm. I come from a, a long line of strong women. And because they were so strong, I felt not overshadowed, but just I was a very shy kid and mm-hmm. they were very protective of me. I was raised as an only child. I didn't meet my brothers and sisters until I was older, children by my father. Mm. And so I was extremely painfully shy and sometimes I still am. And that's a real odd mix because I am, I do have a very strong sense of myself and, and I think of my place in the world for the most part and where I want to be and where I've gone before and, you know, all of that. But 
then dealing with that. In my 20s and as a teenager and growing up, it was difficult to bridge that. But now, you know, I just have a a face that I put on for a few minutes that, you know, if I'm going into a new or different situation and I'm a little bit unsure about it, that I just put that face on. And after a few minutes, then I'm able to be myself. But to go in, you know, Mm -hmm. I used to maybe go in a room and not say anything to anyone and just sort of, you know, feel the vibe out. But it's not really the thing to do when you are, you know what I mean? You have to work the room. You have to work the room. Mm -hmm. Or even if not, you have to go in and just say, hi, I'm Vivian and or whatever, you Mm -hmm. know. Well, how personal is it to be up there on that stage? And let's use life as an example. And I wanted to go back to what you're saying about the world situation today and commenting on that, which must be also on another level. It's 2016. When, when, what am I singing about this yeah. stuff for? I write a blog. I don't, I'm not, you know, I don't write it like every week or anything like that. But a couple of times a year, I'll do a blog and I uh, watch the, um, going back to Nina Simone, I watched the Nina Simone um, documentary. I think it was last year, called What Happened, Miss Simone. And I, in this blog, I talk about how thought-provoking it is that we're still singing about Strange Fruit today. Yeah, and I wanted you to talk about that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. A song that was written in the 30s by, I think his name is Abel Mirpal for Billie Holiday, mm-hmm. and, um, then, and then re-recorded by Nina Simone, which was a hit for her in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Almost a good 30 solid years later. And mm-hmm. here we are in 2000. 16, and we're still singing about the same things. And this record basically came together because I just, as any of us have and any of us who who see what's happening, we are very frustrated with continuing to see people just be killed and, and beaten in the street. Uh, a friend of mine recently said, I think that many people have post-traumatic stress syndrome and we don't realize it from watching this kind of violence happen, you know. In and their it's, backyard. It's 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 in our homes, being mm-hmm. broadcast directly to us right, in our homes. Right. And on the one hand, I think you, you realize that you become a, a certain amount, to a certain degree, you become a bit desensitized about it. But in the long run, you carry it. We all carry it with us. Even people who say that they don't really agree that there's a problem, we all see this violence and it it becomes something that we're a burden that we're carrying. What was the genesis for the writing of that song initially? Well, the genesis was that he had witnessed a lynching in the South and he he wrote about it. Mm -hmm. And he thought that the perfect person to sing this song would be would be Billie Holiday. And in at the time, it was dangerous for her to sing it, hmm. and our record company did not want her to sing it, and she they actually gave her permission to record it with another label, and it became a runaway hit for her. And at the same time, you know, just thinking that the song could become so popular about something that's so... It's so awful. Awful. Yes. And yeah. that we're still singing and, and and that it's still a relevant song today, I think, is extremely disturbing. So explain that to me. What was it about Strange Fruit for you that made you want to record it? You know, I'm definitely something of an activist, and I write a lot of songs about brutality and race. And, Which you've uh, always done? I've always done. Okay. Never really was a fan of the song Strange Fruit, not because I don't think it's a brilliant song. I just, it was a very painful I was just going to say, is it just song. too... It was a very visceral, right. visceral painful right. song. Right. And whenever I heard it, it just always made me feel a, a kind of way, mm. a very pained. Yeah, yeah. 
At the same time, a couple of years ago, you know, when these things started really kind of, I mean, they've been going on for a long time. Let's just be very clear about that. Of course, yeah. It's been going on for a long time, but it just was never documented and, you know, proper records have not been kept. And and so it's been happening and, you know, we'll hear about incidents and then it kind of dies down, not because it wasn't happening, but because if, you know, certain incidents don't get reported about, if they get swept under the rug, then we just don't know. But with the um, onslaught of camera phones and this kinds of thing, it just became a daily occurrence. So, you know... Much more in your face. Much more in your face. So five, six years ago when it just really started to become just a regular occurrence, occurrence, I started really just writing and just randomly writing, not even thinking that this would be music, but just writing my thoughts. And some things started to just kind of come into my mind that I will make a record at some point. On the other side of that, I did a Jazz Vespers concert for Emmanuel Baptist Church in Brooklyn, which was my first that I'd ever done. And it was 2000, I think, 14. And they asked me, it was in March, and so they asked me to do songs that would celebrate the end of Black History Month and the beginning of Women's History Month. Ah. And if I could put a program together honoring the two. And I went through uh, many songs to do by women, by black women, and I thought, Strange Fruit. That's was a no-brainer? No-brainer. <laughs> I got to do it. Yeah. So uh, first time I was ever going to perform it, I'd never performed it. Of course, I've heard it millions of times. So I thought, I'll perform this song. And something just was like, wow, when I performed it. It was just like, it was very emotional. Was that the first time that's happened to you? No, it wasn't. But it might have been the first time that it happened at, at, at that level. It was like something in me just cracked, like, you got to do something with this song. This mm-hmm. is just like, it's it's timely, it's timeless, it's... And then it becomes a mission, in yeah. a sense. Because the video is pretty riveting also. It is, it is. Believe it or not, I recorded that video almost a year ago. Um, in one month, it'll be a year. But because I've been going through... My manager, I just signed with new management, Mm -hmm. um, and they are talking to different labels. And so I thought the record would be out before now. And just uh, by the grace of God, I was able to sign with this new manager who really loves the record and wants to get behind it and was like, no, no, this is not a record that you, you know, put out yourself. We got to, this is for this, you Mm -hmm. know. So since then, you know, you've seen videos that have similar themes, but... I just thought to myself, yeah, I've got to do something with this song. And uh, on a plane trip back from Australia, um, I just got this melody in mind and this music in in my head. Like, this is for Strange Fruit. Don't ask me why. Don't ask me how. It's just like, okay, this is what you got to do. So I recorded it in my phone. And <laughs> when I came home, I, you know, I played it for my husband. I was like, we got to get this together. How do we, you know? And he said, you know, we ought to ask Shedrick Mitchell to play on this. Shedrick Mitchell uh, plays with Maxwell. He's played with Diane Reeves. He plays with everyone. He's amazing, amazing, incredible arranger and musician. And I took it to him and I said, Shedrick, I want to make something of this. And, you know, Donald Edwards played drums on him. My husband played bass. And um, over a few weeks just came together just magnificently. Like if I had planned it, it couldn't have come out better. It was just uh, uh, one of those things that are, you know, kismet. And pretty much, I would have to say, almost the whole record came together in that way. So sometimes I get those little moments where it's like, okay, this is meant to be, and I'm 
Is the album thematic? Definitely. And I think it deals with more of the painful side of life. But it does it does deal with love, mm-hmm. and it does deal with loss, um, but it it also deals with, you know, falling in love and love of family and all those kinds of things. But but mostly, I would say what you would get from it is this. Uh, there's some some songs that deal with um, your relationship with God, even though, it you know, I try not to be preachy, but, you know, there are those kinds of songs. And then, then there are Cole Porter songs on there. Mm-hmm. And most for the most part, the record is standards reworked. But there are a few original tunes on there that I put in there. That you wrote? That I wrote mm-hmm. as well. If you're just joining us, my guest today is singer Vivian Sessoms. Would you consider, at the risk of labeling something, Strange Fruit to be an anthem? Yes, beyond a shadow of a doubt. And I think it it's always been an anthem. And for anyone that records that, it, that's what it is. Are you finished with life? I'm finished with life, and and, and oddly, um, I just finished a couple of weeks ago. I recorded thirty over thirty songs, about thirty two songs or thirty four songs. And well, how many like made that. the album? Probably only twelve, mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. maybe ten or twelve will make the album. And of the thirty that you recorded, how many did you write? I probably wrote eight. So that they can be, if they're not on that album, they can sort of be. Put in, in storage for a minute, yeah. you know, and then resurrected yes. again. Well, this is the life part one and part two. Ah, so okay. Both albums are, are done or are recorded. Yeah, finished. How often are you singing in front of people? You know, share the percentages. Usually about four or five times a month, but in this last year, less so, just because I was working on this record. So I'd say about the last, just, just definitely the last year. Last year, I traveled while I was working. But this year, because I was getting really close to being finished and because I had signed with this new management who was like, I need this record ASAP. So I took a lot of time off in this particular year. I did travel some um, and did, you know, a handful of shows, but not the amount I normally do. And I also needed a new record. Um, It had been performing, you know, my music for a while. So I needed some, you know, new material. What was it like to go down under? It's a beautiful, beautiful place with amazing people. And I have to say that some of the most incredible musicians that I've worked with and played with have been in Australia. Very, very beautiful. Did you not go with your own group? No. You I did haven't. not? I did not. And most of the time in oh, wow, the Wow, what was that like? Yeah, most of the time in the last few years, I would say I've really got extremely serious about this about seven years ago. So I've been performing now steadily for about four or five years. Most of the time, I I pick up musicians. Along the I way. Go. Yeah. But when I say I hire musicians wherever I go, they will usually come highly recommended I from understand. people that I know and friends. Uh, and more often than not, my husband will be with me. So we will kind of, you know, cherry pick musicians. And what is that like, working it's, with him? It's... It's awesome when I can have him. He's, uh, you know, a producer and and, and uh, an engineer, to, so mm-hmm, he's not mm-hmm. always available to me. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, he'll tell me sometimes, hey, I got to take this project. It's going to pay me more than you. <laughs> somebody's <laughs> yes, gotta... but you sleep with me. <laughs> exactly. It's like somebody's got to make the big bucks. So it's wonderful when we travel together because we get to see the world together and we get to make music together. And it's an incredible blessing to be able to to share that with him. And, mm-hmm. I, and it's how we came together and it's how we met through music. So it's, it's And how really long incredible. are you together? 18 years. But having new musicians 
wherever I go has been a fantastic opportunity to learn a lot about myself. And be flexible too, right? It forces me to be flexible and it really, really, really forces me to keep my ears and eyes open. My spidey senses are always on because, and and to hear these wonderful interpretations of, of my music and have it played in ways I never could have imagined. Isn't that crazy? I would be unnerved by that. Clearly, you're professionals and, you know, you're not at some, you know, with some eighth grade, yeah. you know, music student. Yeah. But this is my stuff. And yeah. I'm the star. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. Not yeah. di- not that you're taking a diva attitude, but because you take your music so seriously. But I really think that music is this... Um, fluid and malleable thing, right. you know, and just like a stage performance, like no two are ever the same. And, mm-hmm. and I think that that's the challenge of it. I just really think that, you know, our, our main focus here just as humans is to just be challenged and to learn and to grow, experience and grow. And to that regard, I think it's it's an amazing challenge to be able to work with different musicians everywhere and hear your music channel through what they perceive it to be, which Sometimes can be vastly different or sometimes can be very similar. You know what I mean? But it is, it really has been rewarding. Um, and it really works, not it, all the yeah, time, most of the time. It really does. It's it, And, you know, it, the, the reason that I even got into doing that is because it's kind of hard to keep a steady band together mm. when you're doing jazz because, you know, people need to earn money. And then, you know, I can't always, I mean, when I can, I pay the very best that I can. But, mm-hmm. but if someone gets a better offer or a longer tour, of mm-hmm. course, they have to go with that and I respect it. And so that's how I sort of got into it. And, you know, I've had a lot of club owners in New York and other places asked me, like, why don't you, you know, use the same band? And I just thought, you know, it'll just prevent me from just becoming so, like, I can't hear my music played any other way unless I have these musicians. Right. But then it became, like, a fun thing that I began to really look forward to and... and, and The um, challenge And almost. challenge, mm-hmm. yeah. But, but also, not even a challenge, just a chance to just do it different. Or grow and expand in yeah. a different way. and but just hear it. You know, it's like, you know, if you perform anything for two years in a row, of course, you know, just to hear it played just a little bit different is just makes it a whole new thing that can be really fun. Well, coming down the wire here, so tell me what's in your future. Well, I think that I'm probably going to be promoting and performing this new record, and um, I'm still hoping that it'll be out this year. Um, mm-hmm. But if not, it'll be out at the very latest, at the very beginning of next year. And so I hope this record will, you know, see me out performing. Um, taking it on the road. Taking it on the road, and uh, but but for much longer periods of time. And just, you know, meeting people and uh, through music and saying hey and... Um, you know, if I'm out somewhere, please come up and say hi. Introduce yourself. I love to meet people. Love well, that's to. pretty obvious. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Mm-hmm. I thought that it would be a really kind of neat thing to end our conversation with Vivian singing Strange Fruit. I'm sure that works for you. Um, so before we say take us home, Vivian, I want to thank you again for coming back. It is just always such such a pleasure to have a conversation with you. It's so easy and, um, and you have so much to say. And I only just wish you more continued success. Thank you so much. We'd love to have life part two because there's Absolutely. always a part two, yes. isn't there? Yes, there is. <laughs> so Vivian Sessoms, let's hear a little strange fruit. Okay. Southern tree Love only 
Yeah.